Hey everyone, welcome back to Listen For Real. I'm Jen Oliver and I am here with one of the dearest of the dear friends that I can call my own and I'm so thankful she took up my invitation to join us. Megan O'Connor is here and I just, ah, she just touched her heart like, yeah, that's, that's Megan right there. Megan um, is a tremendous woman who has walked through all kinds of aspects of life from being an active fire service member. I think you're a captain, right? At, 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 at one point in the fire service and you're, you're a paramedic and firefighter, right? Is, am I using all the right terms? You are. Yeah. Okay. Good. And so that's when I met Megan. And um, Megan's responsible, frankly, for introducing me to the Women Speak Method, which is that body of work I train so many women in to help them find their voice. And she is the key person who told me about it. And then we started on this journey of being two women who wanted to use our voices in stronger more powerful ways. And I could not have known that when I was meeting her at a little uh, meditation evening at a local chiropractor's office, (laughs) that we would become just the dearest of friends over these years. And I couldn't have known too that when I met Megan, she was in one of the um, most poignant, painful seasons of her life. She had recently lost her beloved, Ryan, um, who died by suicide. Um, she was working, but wrestling mightily with PTSD. She was walking through all kinds of things. And here's the crazy part, y'all. You know, I said that this is the face of PTSD. And because I want to normalize what post-traumatic stress disorder is and talking about it, but that it isn't just soldiers who come back from war. It isn't just somebody who um, is the victim of a big crime or incident or, you know, it can be all of those things, but it can be so many other things too. And it can be something almost cumulative. Cumulative? (laughs) Do you like how I did that? (laughs) Cumulative. And I know, Megan, you'll explain that because you have not only studied this, but you work with people directly now, especially first responders in a really powerful way um, to, to guide them. And I will say, um, when I met you, you were the face of determination and woman power and strength and resilience. And you were struggling with PTSD. And it's an and. It's not like, oh, in one season you're strong and one season you're weak. This is the weird, confusing part of it is. It's all can be a both and at the same time and they're like interwoven. And I think that's what's so confusing to people, especially those who have not wrestled with it, that the two can coexist, especially in the first responder world, because you all have to be game on and you're there, you know, in service to other humans who need people at their worst moment in their life sometimes. So with that, I really wanted to paint that picture from how I met you and my perception of you. But I would just love if you'd say hi and maybe paint the picture even more. And um, I just want people to know you. So hi, Megan. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Jen. Thank you for having me. And thank you for that <laughs> lovely and powerful introduction. Um, sometimes I don't even... I. I look at myself through such a unique lens. So to hear it from you, um, it's like, oh yeah, that was 
gosh, almost over four years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's going on almost five years now of that time frame. And even just to think back on how much life has changed and to hear that you didn't really know like the depth of what I was going through. Cause in my mind, it was, it was on my sleeve. It was on my face. Like it was everything in my world, but to hear Mm -hmm. that you saw other things as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to forget that I also was carrying the strength back then as well. Yep. Yep. So So will you paint the picture just so everybody understands your environment, you know, your role, your work, your love, all of the things, and just so they understand where, where you were and then the journey you've been on? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I did, so as Jen said, I, I spent, um, I mean, by the end, cause the, like leaving the fire service, I'm no longer in the fire service now, but it was about 15 years in total from the beginning of my career to the end when I had retired. And I worked um, in the Bay Area for a department and I was a paramedic. We were the primary um, ambulance provider as well. So this department, we were the, like we, we had the fire engines, the fire trucks, we were the primary fire department and also transporting agencies. So when we were on medical calls, it was from the moment we arrived at their house or on the scene to when we dropped them off at the hospital and handed over care. Um, So I I was a paramedic through my whole career and a firefighter promoted up to engineer, which is the driver operator. So when you see someone driving the fire engine, that's the engineer. And then my last year, I was what was called an EMS captain um, overseeing our emergency uh, medical division kind of doing a lot of education and helping with the academy and with certification of our paramedics and EMTs. And so I wasn't a captain on the engine, but a captain in the, that EMS role. Yeah. Um, something else I was, I had joined our peer support team. My last, my last couple years of being on the fire service, maybe it was my last year. It's the time frame gets a little foggy in in my recollection. Um, but that was something I was really passionate about was being on the peer support team. And it, I joined because I had started experiencing PTSD years before that. And Mm -hmm. I felt like what was in place was a miss and not helpful for everybody. Um, And I felt like I was missed because of, you know, what was available for us. I tried it. It didn't work. And I was Mm. struggling and nobody knew. Like you said, Mm. even when you met me a couple years later, you had no idea because we put on a, I I put on kind of a mask or my armor and you'd have no idea the struggle, but I was just trying to figure out different ways to take care of myself and get get the help I needed to not have the symptoms of PTS. I don't know if that makes total sense. It does. Would you paint the picture just for those who don't understand the symptoms of PTS for you and the struggle you just said, you mentioned the struggle. What did that look like for you in a, in a daily situation? Could you paint it and what did it feel like for those of us who don't understand it? Yeah. So well, mine sparked, um, sparked, I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, mine sort of hit me pretty hard after um, a 
call that we had a traumatic call that we responded to on the freeway and it was right before Christmas. Um, it might've even been, it was in 2016, I believe. Um, today's like the 19th. So it might've been today that year. I'm not sure. I didn't even think about that. That's crazy. Um, Yeah. Anniversary dates can be a little bit hard. Uh, and you know, I told you I'm feeling a little off and it might just be the holiday season, but it could also be that. Yeah. Um, Our body keeps score. It absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. The body keeps the score is a great book that explains a lot of this. Um, but I'll just explain for me what it looked like. And the call, without going into full detail, it was um, a time, like we were there on scene for a while, trying to get the person untangled, untangled from the vehicle. And I was the patient person. Um, so I was with him, trying to help save him, looking him in the eyes. And it was just, it was an extremely hard emotional call and it took everybody on scene to get him untangled and he um I it's hard because I don't want to tell the details and traumatize listeners however um it's just he he didn't make it um we handed over care and someone else took him to the hospital but we were I was left on scene just trying to help he he coded, which means his heart stopped when, once we got him untangled, which isn't uncommon. Um, but that was hard to see because I was looking at him, talking to him, you know, in I was his person that whole time. And so to watch him once we got him out fade and then his heart stopped and then hand, you know, handed over care to the at that point, we had someone else transport him. Um, and then we I ended up going to the hospital to take some. Yeah, this is it's. I don't know what's okay to say, um, but it that call um, really messed with me. It was emotional for all of us, and we we did what was called an after action. Well, it wasn't. It was called a debriefing or diffusing, where we meet the next morning, and and I think we even had a. I don't know if it was a therapist, but somebody led kind of a a place that we can talk about it and express what we were holding on to so that we can leave that stuff there. And the way it went, we went around the table and they started with the most senior, you know, the chief, the captain, the engineer, the firefighter, and then they had the medic, which was me that day, um, share last. And to be honest, I like listening to all my brothers, my coworkers, tearing up, crying, breaking down, letting their stuff go. Mm-hmm. being a woman, this is something that I had done for years, but I didn't show my emotion. Um, I mean, I did, I was empathetic. I showed it in the sense of being caring for others, but I was okay. I, I was like, I'm fine. If they're this broken up, I can't, I can't tell them what I saw looking into his eyes. I can't tell them what I was holding on to because it will tear that tear them up more. So that that was something that's supposed to help, but it just didn't help me in that environment. And I went home. um, Well, even that first night, I couldn't close my eyes without having flashbacks and immediately feeling like I was on the scene again. Mm. Um, And that happened for nights on end. 
And just that, like, I'd close my eyes and I was just right there. It was just so vivid. And then I'd feel this adrenaline rush come in. My heart rate would just take up, like speed up and take over. And I'd feel, I mean, now I look back and like, oh, that was kind of anxiety attacks. Um, But it was just so intrusive, that feeling. And (sighs) it went on for months. Um, I couldn't drive past it. I used to take, like driving into work, I would just get off the freeway and go through town instead of going past it. So I was trying to avoid the triggers because I could, it would just take me there every time. And even in the, where I lived, we had a a sandwich shop across the street and big rigs would deliver their drinks in the middle of the night. And I would hear the noise of the big rig truck even months after. And that, like that noise of the truck, I would Mm -hmm. wake up having like lucid dreams of um, being back on the scene and just kind of being right back in it. So I did go to therapy that was available at the time for us. However, the method that she um, had told me, she said, yeah, I think you have PTSD, but I'll have to see you for a month straight to diagnose you. And Mm -hmm. in my mind, I thought, oh, I thought I was going to come to you like once or twice and you'd fix this. I wasn't, I wasn't mentally prepared for, I'll have to evaluate you for a month to tell you if you have PTSD or not. Yeah. So when I went in, she said, here's a workbook, write down the 10 worst calls you've ever been on. And then we'll go through and reassociate them and do EMDR. And, and we'll, and also write down the 10, like 10 good memories. And I thought, okay, I'll try that. And she said, come back when you're ready. And I could never write down the bad stuff. I couldn't put it on paper. I I just couldn't. So I, I never went back to see her. Yeah. But I did join our peer support team. And I said, hey, um, I've got some other ideas of things that will help. And I had a whole list of things. I, I came to them with a vision and um, and I did find other ways that helped me to calm the anxiety, to help me sleep again, to help get my health under control, to help yeah. get my triggers down. And I just took a way more holistic approach on my own health. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to pause well, because it, I feel like I just laid a lot out there. <laughs> no, I, I really am grateful you are so willing to be that vulnerable and share that because I think that um, for those who wrestle with PTS, okay, wait, will you define the terms PTS versus PTSD? Post-traumatic stress is what you're experiencing. The post-traumatic stress disorder is like a diagnosis. Is that the right way to look at it? Yeah. So post-traumatic stress disorder is the diagnosis that is given. Um, A a term that's being used more commonly is post-traumatic stress injury. Meaning, you know, it's, yes, it is an injury. The diagnosis is an injury as well. Um, And it's a physiological brain injury that impacts. It's not just a like, oh, just take your mind off of it. There are are differences, excuse me, in the brain, the nervous system. I'm not, I don't want to, I don't understand fully all of the science, but I definitely know there's, I mean, they could do brain scans and see how it's affected Mm -hmm. you. There's a whole world of treatments out there. 
that yes. also help with like diagnosing that injury. But just as people are so individual, so is the way PTSD manifests in people. And so what works for you, well, A, the way you experience post-traumatic stress and the way you're triggered may be different than another person who experiences it, A, it's not all a one-size-fits-all thing, and B, I think then the way that it can be addressed may vary from person to person to your point. So one person might be able to walk into, let's say, talk therapy, I don't know, and I'm I'm guessing, and maybe have some success. Another person needs EMDR, which is um, a, a great strategy that's often used in therapeutic settings to reprogram the unconscious mind. But the bottom line is, I love that you just presence the idea that it is an injury. Because so often, like anything that is associated with mental illness, and I'm using my big air quotes here, is then looked at just this matter of the mind and mind over matter and just think happy thoughts and or just don't put yourself in a place of being triggered. I mean, that's a fool's errand. No one could do that because you could no more control your limbic brain, if I understand it right, and I want you to correct me where I'm off, than you could control like that your heart beats at a certain rate. You know what I'm saying? Like, right? Do I understand yeah. that right? And yeah. where am I off? Because I want to understand this better and not make my blanket assumptions about it. Yeah. Well, so the brain, I mean, I'm not going to go too far into it, but like yeah, in the, totally. the basic parts that I remember is that the amygdala is overactive. Mm -hmm. And that's the yeah. part that's like, like gets your, your final brain is constantly going. I call it like the hamster meal, the hamster wheel. And, yeah. um, and the part of your brain, I think it's your hypothalamus, um, that controls like your memory. Um, and just, I think that's where your parasympathetic is. This is where like a lot of my recollection yeah. has started, has faded. Um, no worries, no for worries. science stuff and being a paramedic, it frustrates me because I used to be able to speak on this stuff so confidently. And now yeah. I'm like, I don't want to misquote cause I can't quite remember, but with PTSD, yeah. especially when the symptoms are active and high and running your life, your amygdala is overactive. So your brain yeah. is constantly spinning and then your hypothalamus is underactive, which really impacts your memory. So yeah. I kind of, I painted a picture of the earliest um, signs that I, I was pretty confident I had PTS. I, I don't say PTSD. I mean, she said, she said, if I saw you for a month, it'd be pretty safe to say you have this. So looking, I was in denial. I didn't accept that. I just thought, no, I just had one call that really affected me. Well, yeah. now fast forward years of more calls, more life experiences that impacted me deeply. I did end up going to therapy for two years straight and I ended up doing EMDR. There's, and what I learned was there's different approaches, different techniques, different, um, you know, different psychologists, different doctors will see you and they have their own approaches to kind of set that up. Yeah. And I wish I knew that back then to say, okay, well, her method wasn't going to work for me. However, maybe someone else I'll drive with a little bit more 
And I I wish I knew that, like, why don't I try a different therapist? Why don't I try a different technique? Uh, Because after going through it, after more happened, um, it really did help me. And it was deeply healing. And and that, that is what got my, probably got the, my brain back to functioning order. Yeah. In the sense of, oh, sorry. No, no, totally. Um, it, it, this is like how you and I talk. When we're all on the yeah. couch here, this is how it is. We all talk over each other <laughs> and it's normal. No, I, that, I'm really happy you're saying that because it is different for every person. And whether it's um, post-traumatic stress or it's another trauma or it's another reason that you need assistance to think Sometimes we have to go to more than one therapist, or maybe we need to pursue more than one modality, or maybe we need to um, venture into an area that we're completely unfamiliar with. And I'm really glad you said that because I've had that from different areas of approach to depression and mental health for me in my case. But I want people to remember that you, first of all, we are all worth it. We are all worth taking care of ourselves and getting ourselves the care we need when something isn't right. And even if that means we got to try and try again, which has to be exhausting, especially when you're suffering. Like I know when I was depressed, you could barely get me to do anything. And it felt Herculean. I remember my ex-husband would make appointments for me to the degree he could because I couldn't even like, function. And I know you get this. And so y'all, I just want you to know like A, for you to advocate for yourself, B, ask for help, C, avail yourself of everything. And when something doesn't work, either keep trying it or try something new, whatever it is, please don't give up because sometimes it isn't that first therapist or that first modality or that first method because we're all so unique. And that's the beauty of like the amazing time we're alive is that there's so many options. You know, in the old days, a first responder just had to grin and bear it and they drank themselves to death or they, you know, yelled at their wife, you know what I mean? Or, or they, whatever. I mean, I know you can speak to that and I, I don't, I don't want to sound flippant about that. And now there's more things and there are continuing to be more and we're by no means all the way there. Um, because we now have to destigmatize it because you have people in military service and first responders who still feel like I can't ask for help because it'll ruin my career. It'll all the things, even though on the outside, all these agencies will say, you know, I have a friend who was in the Navy for, you know, a career for 25 years. And he goes, they tell us to go get therapy. They tell us to avail ourselves of all these things. And he goes, but deep down, we all know it'll ruin our career. So we don't avail, make ourselves we, excuse me, we don't avail ourselves of the services the Navy provides. We will go outside, use a fake name if we have to, pay cash, and make sure they don't know who we are, if we will even do that. Like, yeah, ah, that pains me. Well, and when you look at my, it, it's hard because I, yes, I agree. And I also have seen other, I've seen certain agencies be supportive and embrace their employees when they do go off with PTSD. Um, and I, I don't know where my department is now. Um, I just know that 
in my mind when I went off, I was trusting because so fast forward my, yeah. so those, those early days to me, the, the, like now looking back, I had PTSD. I just thought I was experiencing some symptoms. And so therapy didn't help right away, but I did a lot of holistic approaches. Um, I did, yeah. you know, I used my essential oils, you know, I'm really big into that, but they were mm. emotionally calming. Um, mm. I, my whole immune system, my whole body was off. And so even just taking supplements and getting my nutrition on point again, getting my sleep on point and I used oils a lot and I helped a lot of people and educated a lot of people on that. So I was, I was very big into that. Meditation was huge. Um, I have a whole list of I've created a resource list of things that I've tried and now I've heard other people have tried that help like they help calm your your whole body in different ways and um but fast forward I had taken a position in the fire department that was overseeing the EMS division um it was a lot it was the demand. I was commuting to the Bay Area and would stay there for Monday to Friday most weeks and then commute back. But it was a kind of an eight to five position. Um, so it was hard. I was crashing on friends' couches and hardly home. But on the weekends, um, there wasn't any support. So I was also getting phone calls from guys at the hospital. Hey, I messed up on a PCR. Can you help with this? Which is a patient care report. So the, all the computer mm. stuff. Um, so it was just, I didn't have the, even though I wasn't on the engine running calls, my job stress was higher than it had ever been. Yeah. And I think it was, you know, combo of like the stress of the job, the demand of helping everybody. Um, still struggling with some of my own struggles and also having this like drive to help peer support wise and seeing I could see other people's struggles. I could, I could probably walk into a firehouse today and pinpoint somebody struggling and, and I don't want to say call them out, but I just, I can recognize the look in someone's eyes and there's a little bit of drain that I can see in their face. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe I'm not always accurate and maybe people aren't always ready to hear it. I certainly wasn't. Yeah. Um, so if somebody came up to me and told me, Hey, you're struggling, I'd say, Hey, screw you. I'm fine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm yeah, just fine. Totally. I'm not struggling at all, but how can I help you? And I would turn it right back on them just because that's what we do. We're helpers. Totally. Um, but around that time is when I met Ryan. And so mm. I had my own world of stress and chaos and he was just this bright light in my life. Um, we fell in love so fast. And I, I also was transitioning out of that position and going back to being on the engine because that was better for my own mental health. Um, it just was drawn out. They kept asking, can you stay another couple months? Can you stay another couple months? And I, I actually was so tired one day on my way to work. I didn't notice the lane in front of me stopped and I rear ended the guy in front of me and I totaled my car so mm. I just had this like complacent mindset. And you know what? I, I went, I actually like went to go get a rental car. All I could do is like, well, I need to get to work. So I went to get a rental car and they said, you know, your driver's license has been expired for three weeks. And I, I'm embarrassed to say this being a firefighter and an engineer, but that's where my brain was at. I was like, really? Like I had 
oh yeah, yeah. it was my birthday my license expired I all I cared about so then I ended up spending that day at the DMV instead of the hospital where I should have been getting checked oh out for gosh. a concussion and being like like whiplash but I took care of my driver's license and I got my rental car and I went to work because oh that's my gosh. what we do. Um, so my life was just like work centric, like work centered. That's what I was focused on. And yeah. Ryan was my light and he had his own world of struggle in his own ways. And I, I won't share that because that's not mine to share on here. Um, but we shared everything with each other and I just, I supported him. I saw his struggles. He cared about me deeply. And, um, it was February or March 2nd of 2019, um, when he took his life and that we had been together for about six months. We were planning our life together. Um, but I was still in this chaos of now like being back on the fire engine and trying to remember how to drive and be a driver operator. And my stress was, um, high in different ways. And yeah. he, he had his own struggles going on and I was there for him, but I wasn't like at what capacity was I really there for him? That's what I look back and I know I was doing the best I could at the time. Um, I have confidence in that because I, I do remember taking care of myself the best I could at the time. Um, but his death, like that was the first time I just stopped. I had to, I couldn't do, I could not go on or do anything different other than just mm -hmm. like, I was in shock pretty much for a month straight. Um, that obviously sent me into a, a pretty deep depression. And so then it got, you know, is that grief? Is that PTSD? Is it both? I have no idea, but it took me about a month. And when I went back to work, this is where work and life get really messy. But my first call, um, my first, the first day being back on the fire engine. And now I had kind of still had the same anxiety of like, am I going to remember how to drive? Yeah, of course I will. But it's been a while since I've really been in the groove of things now. And yeah. we responded to a, a suicide of a guy <sighs> very close to Ryan's age. And that, that day though, I'll tell you, I felt grateful that I was on the call and I yeah. told my crew, I will talk to the family because I deeply know what they need to hear right now. Yeah. And I can hold the compassion for them. And so I was grateful for that. Um, yeah. And I, like, of course I was on the call that day. So I had that, mm. that's the lens I looked at it through. And then yeah. the next day we had a second call the same time of day, but the second day of the tour. Um, when I say tour, we do two days. We work two days on four days off usually. And we had another suicide call of a guy oh. close to his age. And that one, the girlfriend found him and she was hysterical. Yeah. And that was deeply triggering for me because I wasn't, I was hysterical, but then I put on my mask that night that 
at Ryan's house. Um, so I was able to like, I, I was hysterical inside, but I hit it really well. So to see her hysterical and showing it, it was like, this is what my grief feels like. And I don't know how to do that. I like, that's what I, I think we do that as humans, but especially in the first responder world, we stuff that stuff down and we don't show emotion. We don't know how it's not that we don't know how I think we forget how, because we become so good at it over the years. You we, forget I mean, how because you know how to put on the mask. Well, yeah, we go, we, every yeah. day we respond to people's worst days. So yeah. we can't be emotional and hysterical and showing it. We exactly. can show emotion, but we, we need to be the steady in the chaos. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that we learn how to, true. yeah, we just, we learn how to bottle it down. So th- those two calls, um, talk about, you know, PTSD getting mixed back in with grief and it just, it really stirred up everything. Um, I kept working. So for me, what life looked like at that point, I became, um, I wasn't sleeping, not by choice. I just, I tried, but my brain was spinning that hamster wheel. I told you about my amygdala oh. was overactive and totally and then, in those ways. And then my, um, I just felt like um, roadkill. I'd see roadkill or I'd see a dark corner and I couldn't take my focus off that. I just, that's, I'm like, that's what I feel. I just want to go, you know, when an animal gets sick and they curl up and just, they go in a corner or go hide under something to pass away. Like I couldn't stop thinking about that. It's, I mean, that's Mm. a weird thought in a sense when I say it out loud, but that comforted me because it, it was like, that's how I feel right now. I just want to disappear. I remember sitting at the firehouse dinner and people were talking and catching up and I just wanted to go hide under the desk or just dwindle away. I I just felt so empty. It felt like roadkill. Yeah. Um, And then it was about a month and a half after that when I, I realized my memory was really affected. I remember asking my captain, Hey, um, do we need to go to the grocery store today? Like, I'll, like, what time do you want to go? And he's like, we just got back from the grocery store, Megan, you don't remember driving. And it just hit me like, Ooh, we've just got back. I, I, I don't remember driving. What if I, what if we get a call and I'm going through an intersection and I forget to clear it? I don't check to see who's, you know, if, if it is clear before I blow through with the fire engine or what if right. I don't remember how to pump, you know, water to my guys if they're in a fire. And, and so I got, I really, it hit me that if I can't remember something that happened a half an hour ago, how am I going to remember how to do things? And so yeah. I told him maybe I should take time off. And he was like, I've been waiting for you to say that because you look like a zombie. And so he really? could see it. And then I found out others could see it. Um, but nobody wanted to tell me because they just they could see me trying to hold it together. So you, oh, you could so see some struggle. Yeah. I mean, you could see it. And, and so then I thought, well, you're right. I'm. I'm afraid I'm going to get someone else hurt because I can't, mm. I can't quite figure out how to take care of myself. And I, I'd like to say too, that 
I had started therapy mm-hmm. and it was through our department psychologist and she's amazing. She, she was involved with our peer support team. I think she still is, but, um, she reached out and was like, Hey, when you're ready, like, cause I reached out yeah. to the peer support team at that time. I said, I'm going to need help. I don't know yeah. what I need, but I'm going to need help. And so I started therapy. Um, it shifted after those suicide calls, it shifted from grief focused therapy to PTSD and we did start EMDR. Um, and it was helpful. So we were doing the work. I was going to therapy twice a week at that time. And I'd been going for about a month and a half, but my memory was still really affected. My symptoms were just so high. So I felt like even like that wasn't enough. And so to remove myself from work and the environment, yeah, that's going to help. And I remember going home and now that took my purpose away. And then I was just at home. And the only thing in life I had to look forward to and do was therapy. But it's like, well, what good is that going to do every few days going to therapy? I mean, this is, I, I did. So it was just getting dimmer and darker. And I was slipping into a really big hopeless feeling and depression. Yeah. And so I signed up for a week long retreat and they said, we can get you in in five months from now. You're like, I, I laugh, I laugh now, but I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I, I'm not going to make it. Like yeah. it wasn't suicidal, but I was passively, um, I guess in a, now looking back, it was kind of that passive suicide, suicidology. Like I didn't care what happened to me. Yeah. I remember going to bed. I'm like, oh, are the doors locked? what does it matter? <laughs> like, come on in. It doesn't, nothing scares me because I just don't care. Like that's where my mind was at. Um, yeah. Whew, I'm going to pause for a second. Yeah. I no, feel like I just laid a lot out there. No, I, and you, and I want you to pause for you too. What we'll do is, um, let's take a break and then I'd like to come back and just talk a little more about, well, whatever's feeling present for you, retirement, what you're doing now. Um, and I'm not cutting it short by any means. Like I want you to feel again, to talk about whatever you want to talk about, but I can appreciate also needing a break for yourself, for, for everyone sitting here on the couch with us. Um, we're just so grateful you are here and listening. And I really, um, I'm grateful for you. And um, so let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Thank you. This is your lucky day. If you are the person who's tasked with booking the keynote speakers or workshop facilitation for your company or your organization, or perhaps you know someone who needs a speaker for a special event or retreat, guess who's available? That's right. I am booking out now for 2024. And if you're looking for a relational person who knows how to deliver truly engaging personal and professional development for your team, I talk all things communication, connection, leadership, and so much more. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Reach me at realjohnoliver.com. Click schedule a call and let's explore what your group needs and perhaps I can help. Again, realjenoliver.com. Click on schedule a call. 
Okay, ladies, this one's for you. You will often hear me reference Women Speak workshops when I'm talking on the podcast, and I want you to know more about them in case these would support you. I host small groups of women in the greater Sacramento region in an ongoing curriculum called Women Speak, and it helps a woman to find her more authentic voice and feel honestly more confident in using it. It's a body of work that offers methods and tools, practice and feedback in a really supportive group, very intimate, small group of women. And it will help you to feel a greater sense of self-trust when speaking your truth. And we address everything from people-pleasing to nerves to speaking anxiety. And it's a game changer whether you're having a hard conversation with someone close to you or offering your perspective in a business setting, or maybe sharing your story or message from a huge stage. We all crave that feeling of confidence and security when we speak. So check out realjenoliver.com, look for the Women Speak dropdown, or click on the button that says schedule a call. And let's talk about this. It might be exactly what you're looking for. And we are back. And you know what, Megan? I was just thinking, one of the questions I wanted to ask you before we move into kind of um, to hope and post-traumatic growth and the different things that you've walked through and where you're at now is when back when, remember when you were just saying that um, you were forgetful and you didn't remember that you guys had just gone to the grocery store and then you're like, wait a minute, oh, how am I driving the engine? And what if I forget about how to pump water and all the things? And your captain or your leader said, yeah. you know, you look like a zombie and yeah, I can see it. And other people had seen it too. And do you wish that, because they said we were waiting for you to see it or to know you needed the help, I guess, which I really can understand because I think all of us who don't, we, we don't want to upset the apple cart and, and we don't know always the right things to say or do. And I think everyone operates out of an abundance of caution and they really care and they don't want to take the wrong step or a misstep. So I can appreciate they all meant well. There's no question in my mind. I'm certain of yeah. that. Um, but what do you wish? Do you wish it had been different or where were you at with that now looking back and even at that time? Yeah. Well, I do. I remember when my captain said that and I, I know that it's like that mindset, like, and people said this to me, like, I don't want to, I don't want to bring it up on it. Like if you're having a good day, um, I don't want to ask how you're doing or ask about it, but I want it like a lot of people, what I learned later was they really did care and they wanted to know more and they wanted to be there for me, but they just didn't, want to bring it up if I wasn't thinking about it. And looking back, mm -hmm. it's like, well, all of that was on my mind all of the time. So yeah. to just know that somebody cared, um, yeah. I would have, I, I don't know how I would have received it, like being told, oh, you look like a zombie earlier on. However, just to be told like, hey, I noticed that you're struggling or you just seem off. Something seems different. And how can I be there for you right now? And I'd probably say, I have no idea. I'm fine. Right. Like that's, mm. that's probably going to be the response. However, just to know that somebody is like, well, I'm here 
and I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to sit beside you through this. Um, that's really what during the thick of the struggle, I think what all of us need is somebody to sit beside us and listen because there's a lot of people and I, I know they like, no one likes to see someone struggling. And I do this all the time. If you have a problem, I've got like 10 solutions that are possible and I will offer them all to you because I really think it could help solve your problem. <laughs> yep. I'm the same way. Same. Yeah. But we don't, most people also have a brain and also have solutions in there. They just need someone to sit and listen so they can talk them out. And so really, I mean, it's the same thing with struggle and, and struggling with PTSD that, mm-hmm. um, that, and I should say PTSI, I, I say PTS, I kind of use the phrases interchangeably. So if any listeners yeah. use different phrases, I, I don't, I just, I'm speaking of my experience and I kind of juggle all the, the words, but I hope you can understand mm-hmm. what I mean. But mm-hmm. I think anyone sitting in that struggle just needs someone to listen and yeah, and be there, just that support, yeah. and the support should know that you know they that they don't need to do much other than be there and yeah. check in. And I I do I did have a lot of people who would, hey, I'm here for you. How are you doing? And and I wouldn't say that's the worst question ever, but it's a easy question to skim over and say I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah, Thanks just for checking in. That. I appreciate you. How are you? Like to turn it right back yep. around. So nobody, yep. no, no one, it was nothing anyone did wrong. Mm-hmm. However, um, just that presence is, is I think what is deeply needed. Um, yeah. especially because when I was struggling, I was very isolated, even in yeah. plain sight at the, I could be sitting at the dinner house table at the firehouse table at the, at dinner. And, um, I could be in my own head isolated. So that's what I mean when I say in plain sight. Um, it's a very isolating feeling to go through that. Probably but even I, more. Does it feel worse when you're amongst people as opposed to home alone in your living room oh, to feel like, so isolated in the midst of a bunch of people? Because then you think, God, what is wrong with me? I'm here with all these people who care about me. Or you're in the middle of your family. Like I know there's people like they're sitting at a holiday meal or a birthday party with their own family and they feel alone. Like, oh yeah. For, I mean, for years I've struggled with that of like, I, it's hard to be around. Yeah. Cause I feel like, oh, if anything comes out of my mouth, I'm going to be a downer or they know Mm. that I'm struggling or they don't understand. It's yes, it is. It's almost harder than just being on my own. Because on my yeah. own, I can just be me. But in front of yeah. people, I'm like battling a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's changed now. I, I've I've gone, you know, I've taken some leaps and bounds and have learned a lot over the last few years. And yeah. so I don't, like, like I mentioned to you on the, on the break really quickly that I want to make sure that even though, yes, I felt hopeless, that I, I really want to grab onto that there is hope and there always is hope. And so if anyone does feel hopeless, empty, drained, um, any of those things, that's actually quite normal for the process of, you know, being in the middle of PTSD. 
and it's it's very common the more people I've talked to um I I actually run a peer support group now on my own just Mm because I needed support when I went off work and went through I did go through a week-long PTSD retreat called the West Coast Post-Trauma Retreat and it was incredible. It was a week long, like therapy based. It was basically like being able to do six months of therapy in six days. Wow. Um, and it was so, it just helped me to take all of that stuff in my hamster wheel <laughs> and see it differently so I could lay it out on the table and organize it and then really start doing my healing through therapy and just like day to day life. Um, doing things a little bit differently. So it helped me immensely at the time. Um, So that was probably the first um, leap of healing. But because I was off work, um, there's kind of a culture of like, well, we don't, she's off on work comp. We don't want to bother her. We give her her privacy. We don't want to ask questions. That's her own personal business. So there's even more isolation when really what I was wanting was, to be contacted and to be checked on and to let like for people to let me know, like, Hey, we, like, we see you, we miss you. We, we want, we're here for you, but they gave me my privacy and it felt like they forgot about me. Um, oh, yeah. So that part was, so I, I needed my own connection. And so through that retreat and through the community of other first responders that have gone through, I thought, you know, I'm going to start my own peer support group. We're going to meet over coffee on Fridays. And so I started that in November of 19. And we met every Friday morning for coffee. And and I just opened it up. Not Even if people didn't go through that retreat, even if people didn't know they were struggling, but they just felt like they needed a deeper connection. That yes. It was for first responders wanting connection. Um, so people came. I had seven people come that first Friday. And the only difference now is with COVID, everything moved to Zoom. And now I'll never go off Zoom because I have people from all over the country who found their way to the group. And it's still, even though like it's expanded, it's still a small, intimate setting every Friday on Zoom. And we just share. I don't have a lot of structure. It's just connection. You know, that the true, how are you doing really and yeah. opening up the floor to voicing that and yeah. really holding each other accountable for being authentic. That's, that's what that group's all about. Oh my gosh. That's, that's so beautiful and so important. And that was, you just led me to a question. I would love for you to, when you said, how are you doing really? Is that the question when people mean well, and they're either giving you your privacy or they're going, Hey, just checking in. I'm thinking of you. How are you? And you feel often compelled to say, I'm fine. There may be some Mm -hmm. people who go, they can really honestly say, Oh man, it's a crappy day. Like I am in the low or whatever. But what are the questions that someone can text or call or say or send that maybe will give way to um, asking and then going, I'm just a presence listening that maybe would have been, that would be more helpful to someone struggling. Mm. And this is first responder or not. I feel like these questions are important no matter whether you have a friend who just buried their mom to, you know, you have someone who just, your 
best friend had a miscarriage. I mean, this can look so many ways, but I feel like the questions might be really instructive. Well, and I, I'm trying to think of like this grand answer for you, but really what's coming up to (laughs) mind is, um, is really like text messages for me personally were, um, it's hard because I, I, I sit there staring at the phone and trying to think of the answer I'm going to compose. But when yeah. people send voice memos, like, I mean, any, mm-hmm. I don't even care what kind of phone you have. Most phones can record a voice memo now. Um, mm-hmm. That's so much more personal. And to be isolated and in the thick of it, and I felt like I lost my voice, which is why women speak. When I came back to that, originally the practice was to gain confidence teaching my fire department. That's why I found it. But I lost my voice through the process. So when I met you, I was fighting to find it again, finding like fighting to speak up and speak about things I cared about and to have to be listened to. I mean, you know, women speak culture is just to be heard, to be listened to. I was craving that so deeply. So to answer your question, what could somebody do to really connect during the time of struggle with somebody struggling? I mean, the more personal the connection can be, the more that'll crack open the space to really connect and be heard. And so I'd say, even if, you know, pick up the phone and call, someone might not answer, send them a voice memo. You could follow up with a text, say, hey, I just wanted you to hear my voice, but I'm thinking about you. I know you're struggling. I don't, I don't know what you're going through fully. But I just wanted to let you know, I want to be here for you and I want to listen. I love that. that. That's a huge start. Yeah. And just open that door and and be ready to listen. Mm -hmm. Because I did, I spilled my guts and I've heard, actually, I've heard quite a few first responders and veterans say this. um, Like, it's almost easier to talk to the checkout person because I can just like, oh, how are you doing? Oh, do you really want to hear? And like dump all your stuff because you're never going to see them again <laughs> rather yeah. than like their family asked how you're doing I'm fine I'm yeah. fine just fine yeah so I've I've done that where I've dumped to strangers and although it's you know it's a good way for me to release sometimes it's and it is I've had some beautiful connections with people because I have been open and vulnerable however yeah when I can't open up to the ones who are closest to me because I put that mask on, that's where the, Mm. that's where the gap is. And so I think that communication and the space to listen Mm. and share, and that goes for Mm. me too, like being the one, it's not always about me. So that was, I had to also work really hard over the years to rebuild relationships. Like I know you've focused on me and my struggles and you want to know how I'm doing, but I also want to know how you're doing. And so it's like, I had to rebuild this deeper connection both ways. And so going through the isolation and drifting completely away from people, Mm -hmm. I mean, I did feel like I was on the other side of the Grand Canyon, but it's such a beautiful um, journey to hike through it, like literally like hike down into the depths of struggle and and meet people down there and then also come back up and meet people on the way up. And it's been, it's been a complete journey. 
I love that picture. That is the most beautiful picture that you just painted, that metaphor of the hike. And I, I really love that. Will you share more about exactly that? Like mm-hmm. the propelling forward that you are experiencing and have experienced the post-traumatic growth that you've experienced and the hope that you just like, I feel like you just encapsulated hope in that metaphor you just used about hiking. Will you Mm. just share more about that? Absolutely. And first of all, I've never, I've never used that analogy that just came to me speaking. It was just like, I don't know how to paint the picture other than this in front of me. And it's a grand Canyon and everybody I know and love is on the other side and they're cheering and hollering and you know, telling me I'm here for you. Right. But, um, I feel very alone on the other side, but, um, there is a concept that I had, I hadn't really heard about before, but I knew in my heart was there because I now looking back, it's like, there's a lot of possibilities to get better, um, and to take your struggle and turn it into your strength. And that's called post-traumatic growth. And I actually, it was June of 22. A friend of mine had told me about, hey, there's this training. It's called Warrior Path, um, P-A-T-H-H, which stands for Progressive Alternative Training for Helping Heroes. Mm -hmm. And it was all about post-traumatic growth. And I remember thinking, well, I've heard about that, but like, I feel like I've done therapy. I've done a lot of work and I'm doing a lot better. Yeah, But I did feel like I hit a plateau and I didn't, I just felt aimless in life because I ended up retiring. Um, That's its own journey on its own. That could probably be a whole nother podcast. (laughs) So I won't go into there, but I I did end up having to leave the career and medically Mm -hmm. retire from being a firefighter. And that was a battle. Um, But -hmm. when it was all done, you'd think I'd be happy. It happened, but I actually felt worse. I felt very, um, like, well, like I, now I have no purpose. I'm not even a firefighter anymore. Um, what mm-hmm. am I doing in life? Like I'm better from PTSD and in some ways, but I'm still struggling and depressed and aimless. And so when I found this training and warrior path, um, it taught me all about post-traumatic growth and, and how to, use my struggles and learn from them and not only like get back to life before, but get like punched through that because of what I've been through. Mm -hmm. I now know how to live on a deeper level and a different level than I've ever known. Um, So for me personally, I just had this new lens and new perspective on life and I mean, it's, it's a training. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I love it so much. I ended up um, becoming a path guide and this is what I do for work now is I help yeah. other first responders and veterans through this training. Um, and it's not just a week long. It's uh, it's implementing different practices into life that really help set you up for that and making the changes yeah. and being intentional so that you can, take those experiences that you've struggled from. And this goes for anyone. This isn't just a first responder and a veteran thing, but anyone can learn the life lessons and take that into their own life and share that with others. And that's, I mean, 
kind of encapsulates what post-traumatic growth Mm -hmm. is about. But my whole life has changed since then. Wow. Oh, wow. Anything else I'm not thinking of? Um, you're the best. You're just the best. I love talking to you. What? Yeah. Well, I do want (laughs) to, I know I was thinking like, um, I like looking back at, um, kind of what I had gone through. So if anyone is struggling in any sense, any realm of PTS that they see it as, um, no matter what phase it's in, like the earlier phases of just having kind of triggers, the, depression, the memory, and it's different for everybody. There's commonalities for sure, but there's, there's everyone's trauma impacts them differently depending on their experiences in life leading up to that. So there's no comparison. Um, I had that a lot. Well, I haven't been through what you've been through. My struggle's not as bad as yours. And that's not true. Struggle is struggle and Mm -hmm. everybody has their own life experiences. So Who's to say that that struggle wasn't so incapacitating? I can't say that word. Um, help me out I there. think that's a In- good word. Incapacitating? Is that a... Yeah, because it can <laughs> render you feeling like... I see we go yeah. with it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not going to try to say it again, but any any level of struggle that hits somebody so hard in their own yeah. life is yeah. valid. So... I think that's just if we can get out of the comparison and yes. just understand that we all struggle. That's yeah. part of the human experience. Um, well, and you're right. It's like a, there, it, it can be anywhere on a spectrum, right? And none, it's not a hierarchy, it's a spectrum. I think that's where I'm understanding this suddenly is it could be debilitating for one person at one part of a season they're in. It could be really irritating and troubling and frustrating, but they're managing, like there's a spectrum, but it's not a hierarchy. Like one merits more sympathy than another. And, or I haven't been through the same things you've been through. It's not a hierarchy, just like there's no hierarchy with grief. It's all painful and it's all hard. And when you're in it, it's real to you. And that's what matters. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah. And it's also like, okay, if somebody has been through struggle, like just have a listening ear and to ask questions. Um, I do, there's a quote, like the quality of the questions we ask ourselves. And I think the quality of the questions we ask each other dictates the quality of the answers we come up with. And so to ask people and be curious about their struggles and their experiences, um, kind of cults like cultivates the conversation around it. And then yeah. helps them to almost see what, well, what, what did you learn? Like what any, I mean, maybe you don't ask that directly, but um, to be able to reflect and look back and take the life lessons and move forward with it. Um, I, I think that's just takes time through conversation. And that's why I, I see that a lot in my first responder group, it's just organic conversations that happen every Friday and it's an hour and a half call. And Mm -hmm. sometimes there's only a few of us on there, but I just love that people take their time to share and listen deeply. And I see that growth and I see the dots connecting um, through the struggles. Like I had like a really triggering, horrible week. 
here's what I'm doing to kind of get through it. And, and they're just connecting dots. And sometimes that alone is so releasing of the, the stress, the, yeah. the symptoms, um, speaking about it, the power of speaking and, and getting that out. So yeah. I kind of yeah. lost, I drifted away from the question, kind of going down this rabbit hole, but that no, is something I that I wanted to actually answer it. <laughs> I think you've actually answered it beautifully because it there is just there's so much hope in yeah in asking the questions and just being open to listening that you've given us tools to talk to the people. I feel like you've given us language for when we're struggling and we can honor the fact that we're struggling and we need to ask for help or we want help. I think you've given us language for when we don't know what to say to somebody around us or in our life who's suffering and we are that well-meaning um, family member or friend or spouse or whatever. I mean, that is all very hope-filled because, again, I mean, the bottom line is let's go back to connection and human connection and what we all desperately, desperately crave and need, especially when we feel insecure or when that chatter is just going in our mind, the hamster wheel, I think you call it. Like, I wonder, I just can't help but feel like a well-placed person, listening ear, person sitting next to you, physical touch to a dog sitting next to you. I know you have your pups. Like, there is something about presence with another soul, whatever form that takes, that can meet you in your lowest, darkest moments, that to me is the essence of everything you're saying mm -hmm. yeah. and helps it be more manageable and maybe is that light that helps lead us out of that darkness we're in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think you've given us that. Yeah. yeah. There was, um, gosh, there was just one. Oh, um, this is just something that I, I used to, I still use this language, but um, tools are there to fix things. And so yeah. there are a lot of tools out there for us, but practices are there just to help us get better at doing the things that change us or kind of oh, help us that. become the people we want to become. And so I've, I put myself in check on what I'm using the word tools for because am I fixing something mm. or what am I practicing? Because practicing is more gentle and that like tools, um, I absolutely needed tools in a time when I was struggling. I did need to fix some things. Um, mm -hmm. but I, there was like this turning point of like that language is now holding me back. I, I'm not broken, but I have this diagnosis. At what point do you let it go? I hear a lot of first responders especially say, I, I'm going to have PTSD for life. And maybe mm. we will. I, I'm not the one to say that we won't or we will. But I will say that my language shifts have helped me to have more compassion for myself and allow myself to grow. But the more I yeah. use that limiting language, the more I limited myself. Oh, you know what? You just gave me this picture, and this is for everyone, is that you can't grow 
under like this wet blanket of dark shame, you grow in sunlight and everything you just mentioned, which is the opposite. So not shame, but what was the, whatever word you just said, it was perfect. And it's the opposite of shame that that's where you may live with it for the rest of your life. You may learn to just navigate with it or manage it or um, partner with it even. I don't know. Again, I, I, I am so ill-equipped to, because I'm, I'm that person that'll blow sunshine and be like, oh, make lemonade out of lemons. Jeez, that's, I can't even imagine the most insensitive thing I could say when someone's wrestling with something. And when I haven't been in that spot to know that it may be something someone deals with, but when there's, when it's not cloaked and shrouded in shame and that wet, dark blanket, but that there's sunlight and there's conversation and, and mm-hmm. learning to coexist. I don't know. It just seems more hopeful to me from Absolutely. my outside perspective. Yeah. I'm chuckling to myself because you asked what I had said and I'm like this whole time, I'm like, I have no idea. We're going to have to rewind it and see. <laughs> That's my memory there. <laughs> but Totally. Um, Anyhow, I can get a chuckle (laughs) out of things now because, I mean, my memory has become a lot better. Um, However, there's still struggles that pop up here and there and remind me. I mean, that's the, I mean, I think that's just part of being human sometimes too, but. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you, friend. I'm so thankful we talked. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you all for joining Megan and I and just being here in my, in my living room figuratively, um, (laughs) if not physically. And I love that, um, that we can still come together each week and talk about these real things that really matter to us. And, um, I just appreciate you all and love you all. And Megan, I adore you. And I'm so thankful to call you my friend and you have just been such a light for me you have taught me so much and I'm just grateful for you. So thank you, my friend. Well, thank you. I appreciate you and just sending lots of love to everybody out there listening. That's right. All right, y'all. We'll see you next time. Bye. Listen for Real is produced by the Jen Oliver Collective and is edited and mixed by Mark Brown. Our music entitled Zero is written and performed by Shannon Curtis. If you believe conversations like these belong in the world, would you please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast? And even better, share it with someone else as a real conversation starter. And if you crave something in person, join our audience at the Real Conversation Speaker Series. The link is in the show notes. We'll see you next time.